0: Paddock Pass Podcast coming to you live from centre of Italy, scene of dramatic MotoGP round 13, 2019. My name is Neil Morrison. I'm here to discuss a pretty enthralling weekend of action, including Marquez Quartararo. Was that a glimpse into the future, what we saw on Sunday afternoon? Marquez Valentino Rossi. Was that the final glimpse of what was once a great rivalry? Still is a pretty great rivalry. And many other things to discuss from, uh, well, action-packed weekend in Misano. My name is Neil Morrison. Morrison, as I just said, and I'm joined today by David Emmett from Motomatters.com. We are sitting in Bar Tiffany in uh, Borgo Panigale, just next to the uh, Ducati factory, Borgo Panigale, as our uh, satellite, uh, as our sat nav likes to call it. And um, well, I guess we're pretty much in the heartland of uh, Italian racing folklore history. Uh, Can you feel it, David? Is it is it in the air?
1: But they, they, they call this region Motor Valley, and um, it does feel a bit uh, Motor Valley. I mean, because uh, Ducati is literally around I mean, literally round the corner. I think it's about 200 200, uh, 200 meters away. Um, Magneti Morelli is uh, about two kilometers uh, that way. So yeah, it feels uh, it feels a bit. Uh, it does feel a bit special here.
0: Yeah, talking about a bit special, uh, some of the incidents, some of the things that we saw over the weekend were a bit spicy, a bit special. Fabio Quartararo's performance 4-1, I would say, was uh, right in that category. Mark Marquez's performance as well. It was a uh, pretty absorbing encounter without being um, handlebar banging, all action, 10 overtakes a lap. There was that sort of tension, knowing that something was going to unfold on the final lap. And, uh, oh, I think we waited 26 laps before that to unfold. Yeah. And then it did
1: yeah, 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 exactly. I mean, you could see that Marquez didn't have the pace get away. You saw that Quintero didn't have the pace to get away. Then it was just a, a, a matter of who was going to take victory in the in the end. Who was smarter? Who was uh, who wanted it more? Uh, no doubt that Fabio Quartararo wanted it more. But you know, he's in his first season, and this isn't Mark Marquez's first rodeo. And he got beaten on the last lap uh, for the last two races, so he had something to prove. And then there was that um, little um, set two on Saturday afternoon that gave him that little extra boost, boost of motivation. So um, yeah, there was no doubt that he was going. He was he, he was going to give it all, give it his all to try to win in uh, to try to win. And. It was a smart move, smart pass, well defended as well. Uh, I think turn 14, completely block pass or it, well, tell blocking move. You know, no way are you coming, uh, are you coming, uh, coming through because uh, Quattraro was really, uh, really caught up uh, back up on uh, on Marquez through uh, through turn 11 through the Cur- Um But yeah, Marquez was having none of it and made sure made sure to win in front of his adoring Italian fans. <laughs>
0: yeah, all two or three of them, as uh, the TV cameras kept panning to one solitary child <laughs> yeah, exactly. in Mark Marquez gear. Bravest the
1: five-year-old in the world. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, it was an interesting weekend at Misano because, well, I mean, grip was pretty much the, uh, the talk of the town. Yeah. Um, lots, well, or lack of grip, basically. There wasn't really too much of it on show. Some work was done to the track... Uh, prior to this year's event. I think it happened before. World Superbikes were here in June also, um, and that meant that a lot of factories were really suffering quite badly.
1: Yeah, exactly. There was just no grip on the track at all. But basically, what they did was they microblasted the uh, the, the surface, they, which is shooting um, uh, tiny metal balls at the surface at very, very high pressures and high speeds. Um, and... Uh, with the aim of blasting the old rubber off and fracturing the larger stones to make them smaller there were problems there were problems with drainage um, the rubber was starting to fill up all the gaps and so the water was uh, uh, the the track was really really slippery in the, in the wet so they cleaned all that up but the trouble with that is you then have to rubber the track in all over again um, and that means that leaves you with no with no grip for six or seven months um, until they 've had enough Sort of activities on, uh, on the track, and we're only three months in. So the you know the the, the the grip is a little bit better than it was, but it's still nowhere near where it what it needs to be. And it really showed. Uh, it, it really showed in the in the different factories and who was strong. And it was also a little bit strange because the Yamahas were so much better. Normally, uh, in sketchy conditions, when there's a little bit less grip, then it's uh, the Honda which does really well, which really manages it well. And the Ducati as well, because the Ducati can really find traction, can always find traction. It's got really, really good uh, mechanical grip. Um, uh, whereas the Yamaha, which relies on sort of corner speed and doesn't have the same sort of acceleration, they, they lose out. Uh, but here it was, the, it was the absolute opposite. It was, you know, if you could get, carry more corner speed on the, on the edge of the tire, then you didn't have to worry about acceleration. The Ducatis and the, uh, especially the Ducatis, the Ducatis and the Hondas were really losing out in acceleration uh, uh, and in braking. And it was the, the bikes who could find something, something whatever it was, who had the advantage. So it wasn't so much that the Yamaha's did better, it's just that everyone else was really, really bad, and Yamaha were slightly less bad.
0: Yeah, sure. I mean, that shows up really in the final results. Uh, yes, Marquez won, but Fabio was second. Vignale is third, Rossi fourth, and Morbidelli fifth. So Yamaha's, well, second up through to fifth. Um, so that was, uh, yeah, that was quite interesting and quite a show-up for from, from the books, really. I guess that does go to show that Yamaha, uh, while still not the absolute pinnacle of the class, are certainly finding their feet and really in the right direction.
1: Yeah, I mean, to me, uh, the, the Ami is a really, really good bike, which is just missing a little bit. It really is. It needs a little bit more acceleration. It needs a little bit more, uh, uh, more top speed, but it's an, it's an outstanding bike. It's probably um, the Yamaha and the Suzuki are probably the two best handling bikes on the grid. Um, they have really strong points. The Suzuki has probably got a little bit more horsepower and a little bit more acceleration than the Yamaha. And, the, you know, the Yamaha could be as good as... Uh, uh, with, with the Suzuki's horsepower, the Yamaha would be almost unbeatable. Also, just because of the riders it's got on there, you know, we saw Maverick Vinales take an amazing pole on, uh, on Saturday. Um, he uh, was really strong. Um, and obviously, Fabio Cuartararo, that was a fairly otherworldly performance by him. Yeah, I
0: mean, what Cuartararo did at the Red Bull Ring was, I thought, astonishing. Third place there, beating Vinales and Rossi pretty comfortably at what was a desperate uh, track for Yamaha last year. Uh, you think of other really low-grip tracks, I'm not saying that Austria is, but another low-grip track like Mizano-Herez yeah. is always known for its lack of grip at uh, the time when we visit there. Cuartararo was comfortably ahead of the two factory guys that race before yeah. he had that misfortune that mechanical misfortune had to pull out He's pretty much the only guy taking the fight to Marquez that day as well um how special was his performance on sunday
1: uh, it was really special but i, I spoke to uh, wilco zielenberg after the race and he made a very interesting point he said um because i said you know what's going to happen in aragon can he do this at aragon and he said sure, with aragon as he he hasn't raced there on a moto gp bike um but Look where he's been strong. He what, what happened at Misano? They had a they had a week they had a test two weeks ago, so he knew the track. He was ready to prepare. Where else has he been strong? Karel, where they tested in November, so he's ridden Kareth on a Moto, on a MotoGP bike. It makes you. Uh, he was strong at Qatar as well, despite you know the disastrous sort of start. Yeah, um, but SM,
0: uh, Saxon ring, Red Bull Ring.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, has not been the, there before. Yeah, hasn't been there before, but uh, the at tracks where he's already tested, that's showing his real potential. Um, uh, and he's showing his potential. He's that He's really the only guy who can take it to Marquez at the moment. So I think if you... Next year, we're going to see the real potential of what, uh, of what Fabio Cuartoraro can can actually do. That's going to be really, really interesting. Because Fabio has come into the class knowing that Marquez is the target... All the other riders who came in were still looking at Rossi, at Lorenzo, Um, uh, not quite so much Marquez. Fabio Quartararo, you know, didn't uh, he came into uh, when he came into um, into Moto three? He was being called the new Marquez rather than the new Rossi. So he's that's been his target all of his life. Mm.
0: Yeah, Vinales, I guess you could say as well, falls into that category. Mark's always been his sort of uh, uh, the person he's been aiming at. Um, but what was it that Cordova was doing that made him so special? I mean, I know Yamaha have had a couple of difficult years. And if you look back prior to, let's say, 2017, I mean, we always associated Mizano with Yamaha. Yeah. This was one of Lorenzo's strongest tracks when he was riding with them. Yep. Uh, Rossi had a couple of victories at Mizano as well, 2008, I think, yeah. and uh, 2014. Um, but, so obviously, it carries lots of corner speed there's some very very fast corners on the, the track but uh Quartararo was quite special through the really fast parts
1: yeah exactly i mean you know he was pulling away from marcus through Curvoni Cor- through turn 11 and that is um uh being able to carry that much spur that that much corner on the edge is uh it is something really really special uh it's Being able to maintain that sort of speed through through there, it shows. I mean, it shows courage, but it also shows you know immense talent as well.
0: Yeah, natural ability. Because Franco Morbidelli was asked about this afterwards, and he said basically, Fabio is able to make very fast corners with very high speeds and very little effort. Yeah, and I don't know how he does it. (laughs) And when he doesn't know how to do it, he looks at what he's doing on the data. I mean, that's just sheer natural feel and ability. And it reminded me of when Fabio was at um, Assen for the first time; no one could match him through. The Ramshoek, the yeah. uh, Movenmeer um, and... Uh, yeah, Movenmeer,
1: Rams- Holgerheide, all those, those yeah. are the really, really fast part of the track, the...
0: And he was he was faultless, like, through all yeah. weekend there.
1: It makes, you, it makes you wish that we still have the old layout to see what uh, Fabio yeah. could have done on the, on the old layout. Yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah. But another thing, well, there's obviously that was, that was uh, an eye-catching uh, part of his performance. Also, the fact that um, Marquez was putting him under the most severe pressure. Yeah all race long and he didn't crack. I didn't see really any mistake from him.
1: That's right. Well, I, I, again, I asked Wilco about this. I said, you know, what about, uh, uh, obviously he's a rookie this year, so he hasn't got any pressure. What happens next year? Uh, when, uh, when he doesn't have that excuse, when he's not a rookie anymore, when the, when they step the pressure up and he says, did you see the race? <laughs> he's just had 26. He's just faced 26 laps of some of the most severe pressure in his life. And he withstood it with, uh, you know, with enormous ease, and he, he's very good at that. We saw that at Gareth at, um, uh, when the quick shifter broke, and he was absolutely distraught when he came into the pits. Um, but then by the time we actually spoke to him, which was 40 minutes later, 50 minutes later maximum, he was calm and fine, and yeah, okay, yeah, it's a shame, but okay, we showed our potential, and he was... It was completely unruffled. You see, you can always tell when riders, I mean, you know, talking to the Ducati riders after the races today, it was really, you know, they didn't want to you put your arms around them and give them a big hug and say, it's all right, lad, it'll be all right. But um, Quartararo after Jerez bounced back immediately. He was, uh, his normal jaunty self, And that says to me that he has an enormous amount of mental strength.
0: Oh, one of our colleagues, uh, Steve Day, who does the, uh, the commentary for MotoGP for Donna, uh made a really good, interesting point over the weekend. He was looking back at Moto2 last year, first six races of the 2018 Moto2 season. quarter hours results when he was riding a speed-up chassis were 20th, 22nd, 15th, 10th, 8th, and 11th. And after that 11th place at Mugello, if you had said to us then that, what, uh, 15 months in the future, this would be the guy that was forcing Marc Marquez to do quite incredible things right until the very la- last lap. Uh, well, let's face it, you would have been laughed out of the paddock.
1: Yeah, I, I, I mean, it was on the basis of those sort of results that people were extremely sceptical about uh, Petronas actually having signed Cuau uh, Because, you know, we were saying he went on to win, he wanted to, to win and take another couple of podiums that year. But even then, people were still looking back at the start of it and saying, yeah, well, he looks a bit up and down, a bit flaky. You know, you don't think he's going to be reliable. You know, might, okay, you might, you might have one good race, but that's going to be it. Um, but it's just, he's really found his feet in that team.
0: Yeah, I guess it's the perfect um, atmosphere that he has around him, the perfect people, with uh, Wilco Zielenberg keeping him on the straight and narrow. Uh, guys like uh, Torloff Hartlman, obviously, as the rider coach, has uh, fantastic... Technical knowledge and uh, observation ability from trackside.
1: Yeah, but the the, the atmosphere in, the atmosphere in the team is just really really good. You you see it just when you're walking past the garage. Um, everyone works together. Everyone fits together. The, the The atmosphere is good. People are enjoying themselves. I spoke briefly to Jan Stiggerfeld on Saturday night, and he said, uh, "Yeah, yeah, it's important for us to have a really good uh, a good team because you have to rely on each other. You have to be able to work together." and re- they really are doing that. They've, they've done a fantastic job.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, impressive stuff from Fabio Quartararo. Can't really not mention Marquez because let's consider where the next best Honda was. Cal Crutchlow was down in
1: 12th? Cal uh, 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 Crutchlow was down in turn four, he I went, think. Sorry,
0: you're absolutely <laughs> right. Yeah, of course, he crashed out with a couple of laps to go. Said he wasn't even trying at that yeah. point. Tipped in um, and uh, was basically riding round to the finish. Yeah. Tipped in, lost the front. Yeah, didn't the, go the well. next
1: the next Honda was Jorge Lorenzo in fourteenth, fourteenth, forty seven seconds behind. Yes, uh, but, but yeah, basically the Hondas because I looked it up last night and the Hondas were um, uh, Nakagami had a sixth and a fifth uh, throughout all of the sessions through the, through the weekend and that was the best most of the time they were nowhere near the top ten.
0: Yeah, I mean Crutchlow was nowhere. This is a guy that was on the podium at this race a year ago. Yeah, um, and he. Basically, had no answer for what was going on. Well, he did have a bit of an explanation for what was going on. He was saying that uh, Honda usually is pretty good in low-grip situations, in low-grip tracks. Um, he gave examples like the Saxon Ring, yep. uh, Qatar. But uh, I think he was explaining on Thursday that basically, whenever, the Honda, whenever you're exiting a lot of corners with a lot of lean angle, you have to feather the throttle and manage it somewhat. The Honda can work in that condition. But whenever you're basically going from maximum lean angle to upright in a very short time, like you Pick, do, yeah. picking the bike up and then giving it full welly, like you have in many places at Mizano coming onto the back street, yeah. for example, um, coming out of turn four, I think is another one. Yeah. Well, turn four, turn five, turn six, yeah. Um, then they, they really struggled. And that was just the case. I think we could tell from Crutchlow's tone on Thursday, having tested there for two days, that he knew he was in for a long weekend. Yet, Marquez was up there at the front winning the race.
1: Well, yeah, but that's, I mean, that wasn't the Honda winning the race. That was Mark Marquez winning the race. Mark Marquez finds a way. I think the most impressive thing about Marquez is his ability to um, reinvent himself, reinvent his style, find a way, adjust his riding style, adjust what he's doing, and maximize, maximize every single aspect of of Motorcycle race of of motorcycle racing of the motorcycle performance, and he can be fast in lots and lots of different ways. I think that's that's his biggest weapon. Uh, That's what also what makes him so hard to beat in the championship, because um, he's again he's won here. What's that? Seven victories now, I think. Seven victories, five second places, and a DNF at Austin, where normally when he was leading by about three seconds. So it's his margin of victory his his consistency is just outstanding i think this is i was speaking to someone for, before the race i was speaking to someone from honda and he was saying um i think this is marquez is at the peak of his powers and it's hard to it's hard to contradict that
0: yeah the fact that we've been seeing it for so long we've just become accustomed to it i think you can uh, by the, the the sheer frequency with which we we witness him doing this
1: yeah but it's, uh, this, this year, I think, is different because like we've said seen, we've seen this for the past couple of years that he's been so good uh, and so consistent. But the fact that he only ever finishes first or second is when you think about who he's racing against, racing against you know, Valentino Rossi, who um, uh, Marcus will one, one day displace as the greatest rider of all time. He's going to take his records. He's racing against Jorge Lorenzo, who's got so many, cha- uh, so many championships. Um, he's racing against so many champions. He's racing against so much talent. He's racing on bikes which are so much closer in performance than, than they were. It's you know, not like 2008 or whatever when there was three or four bikes you could win on. That was it. It's, uh, there are four factory bikes you can win a race on. There's eight, nine, ten riders who can, um, uh, who can win a race. And he's still only ever finishing first or second. He said it himself in the press conference. You know, when the, uh, when the Ducatis are fast, we're there. When the Yamahas are fast, mm. we're there. When the Suzukis are fast, we're there. Yeah. Um, that's, why he's, that's why he's champion. And that, to me, is the most impressive thing about it.
0: Yeah, he did mention that, well, the Red Bull Ring, that was a, a Ducati track that was river in the Ducatis. Suzuki were obviously in a really good place at Silverstone, yet he was leading basically until, well... A couple of millimeters before <laughs> the finish line and uh yeah here this was a i mean yamaha's weekend essentially and yeah. uh, he was still there in the middle of it yeah. disrupting it and well ruining the yamaha party yeah. from the end of it all and it must be said that he was on the edge i mean i thought at the time yeah he's just sitting there waiting for Cordero to make a mistake make his move and he was doing that to an extent but he said he had two or three moments that we didn't really see on camera where it was touch and go yeah. as to whether he was going to stay on. So he was, he was pushing hard. Yeah, yeah. And, um, well, he's just, uh, I mean, we all know he's going to win the championship. I guess he's at that stage where he thinks, you know what, I can afford to have a DNF because, you know, Aragon's coming up next. And
1: Yeah, I mean, he doesn't really, he doesn't really want a DNF because he really, the, the most important thing for him is the championship. But he did have a little bit of extra motivation here. Yes,
0: and uh, well, that leads us quite beautifully into the second part of the show. So we're going to take a quick break for now, David. You can finish your espresso, sat there to your left. We'll be back in just a moment with part two.
1: Super duper.
0: Welcome back to the second part of the show. As David mentioned a couple of moments ago, there was some extra motivation that Mark Mark has had, and I guess we couldn't go through this edition of the Paddock Pass podcast without referring to the incident on uh, Saturday
1: capitalized the capital T incident. Yes. Capital
0: I. Hashtag <laughs> in front of it. Yes. Uh, hashtag Mizano clash. Yes. You might even say, um, just a bit of uh, background for those that didn't see it. You were somehow, uh, spending the weekend with your head buried under the ground. <laughs> uh, it's worth pointing out that Valentino Rossi and Mark Marquez found themselves on track at the end of Q2. Both were gone in for a pretty fast lap. Uh, Beginning their final laps of the session, uh, Rossi was just ahead of Marquez. Uh, they found themselves together on the back straight. Marquez was going quicker than Rossi. Um, he had two red helmets, I think, through the first two sectors of the track. They pitched into Carvoni. Mark made a pretty aggressive move on Valentino. Yes. Then ran off the edge of the curb onto the, uh, the green pint, which signifies that he was exceeding track limits, and therefore his uh, lap time was going to be cancelled. And then going into turn fourteen, Valentino Rossi decided to just uh, put a pretty,
1: out insult,
0: yeah, pretty stern late-breaking effort, which caused Marcus to sit up nearly, collecting his front wheel, and uh, then there was a bit of a set to afterwards. Um, I thought it was great, I thought it was entertaining, <laughs> hilarious.
1: Yeah, Two completely ga- unnecessary.
0: Completely unnecessary. Two guys that just could not conceal their dislike for one another. Yeah. Um, what was your take on it? It was dirty, dirty riding on Rossi's part.
1: It was, it was dirty riding on everybody's part. I mean, like, really, this is, um, gosh, what is this? This is, uh, uh, d- 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 yeah, this is two people who really, really hate each other who will do whatever it takes to ruin someone else's day. But there was no need for either of them. I mean, Rossi came off slightly worse because, you know, he might have been sort of fifth or sixth. Um, Marquez might have had a, a, a red hammer through the first couple of sectors, but I don't know that he would have got pole. He might have gone onto the front row and started starting fifth. Um, um, afterwards, Mark said that he, he hadn't been out looking for a track. He said he, he entered on his own, and then all of a sudden, uh, Valentino Rossi started going slow in front of him. But when you actually look on the uh, on the MotoGP.com website, there's the live tracking, which shows sort of like the dots of where all the riders are. Um, Marquez was entering the pits, he found himself just ahead of uh, Dovi and Rossi um, and sort of moved out of the way to let Dovi and Rossi past so they, went, uh, they went past and then he sort of tagged onto the back of it, so he wasn't necessarily looking wasn't looking for a toe coming out of the pits but he, found, he accidentally found one and he accidentally found one beyond Valentino, uh, Valentino Rossi the problem was that Rossi didn't need a time, he had at that point I think he was 5th uh, which would have been a second-row start. So he didn't really need to set, a, uh, uh, to set a fast time. This Because something similar happened a f- couple of races ago, I, I forget, when Rossi had no choice. Rossi at the time was down in 12th, and he had to push for a fast lap, and Marquez could, uh, could take advantage of that. And I think Marquez was hoping for, uh, for the same thing to happen. But Rossi wasn't prepared to give him an inch, and then Marquez wasn't prepared to... Uh, 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 you know, wasn't going to go ahead of him and go off and try and set his own lap because they'd be afraid that, Mark, that, that Rossi would find this was, but this was just a clash of egos. It was just two people with whose egos got in the way. And um, yeah, there was, there was a lot of, uh, there th- was just animus. It was just sheer hatred.
0: <laughs> yeah. I guess I couldn't really put it better than that myself, to be honest. Uh, one of Marquez's things, or one of his arguments was that uh, Rossi exceeded track limits on the uh, at the exit of uh, turn six. Uh, yeah. Um, so his lap time was, uh, would have been cancelled. And I think Marquez was arguing that uh, Rossi knew he was uh, so far off yeah, the track yeah, that he
1: would he, have known. he also managed to argue that um, um, uh, Rossi was just off the edge and he he must have known he was off. But then he, then he said, yeah, I didn't really know that I was off the green, uh, uh, off onto the green on the outside of the track at turn 11. So it was, you know, sort of Valentino Rossi ha- should have known, he must know. And then, but I... Really didn't know what was going on there. It's, it's really totally wasn't aware of the fact that I was about a foot over away onto, onto, onto the green there. So it was, um, uh, let's say... Not the pot s-
0: calling the kettle.
1: <laughs> Very much so. Very much so. It wasn't an entirely accurate representation of the facts, uh, of the facts at hand, I think.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, and let's be honest. I mean, Marquez has been uh, crafty. Uh, Let's be diplomatic. I think you could say very crafty with uh, his tactics in qualifying this year. He definitely got Ducati's back up at Mugello whenever he followed Valentino, sorry, uh, Andrea Davizioso around uh, to get pole position. I mean, it was genius at work uh, how he uh, made his own strategy uh, with the final five minutes to play and timed it just right. I think Davide Tardazzi straight afterwards said to Sky Italia that uh, it was a move that uh, lacked professionalism. You know, he was quite <laughs> angered by it.
1: Whereas in actual fact, it was an extremely professional <laughs> move.
0: Uh, yeah. And then, of course, uh, Alex Rins, uh, well, he was pretty angered by what happened in, at Brno, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Brno. And he obviously reacted. And, well, Rins maybe didn't come out of that looking the best. But um, I think it shows that Mark certainly has this ability to wind people up. And this isn't stuff that just goes on in qualifying in front of the TV cameras, it goes on and uh, during free practice when maybe we don't see it <laughs> yeah. and a couple of people are, are quite wise to it. Um, but, uh, well, in the end, um, I guess, well, Marquez was getting booed. Uh,
1: yeah, it was, it, it was quite the intensity funny because, and, because when Valentino came into the pits, he was, uh, after qualifying, he was genuinely greeted as a, as a conquering hero. Everyone had seen what had happened and were very, very clearly on his side. <laughs> Yeah,
0: but then Mark has had the last laugh, essentially, didn't he, on Sunday yeah. when he yeah. was asked about it, um, yeah, the, about before, this special motivation.
1: Yeah, again, before um, uh, beforehand, when I was speaking to, to the people at Honda, they were saying, you know, he's normally he would just be settling for a, for a podium here, but he really is ex, extremely motivated. And it was the first thing he said when he took his helmet off in Park Ferme when he was interviewed by Simon Crafar was... Um, um, yeah I had some extra motivation today yeah and uh, we saw the uh, Honda press officers put their hat in their hands and say you're not supposed to say the, <laughs> say the quiet part loud
0: <laughs> yes also in the press conference he put it to the microphone and he said someone pointed to the microphone someone might always win when they're using this but uh, I think we saw today who won <laughs> out on track so yes that was the last laugh being had Rossi I think countered to that afterwards saying I-, I didn't need to argue with people all the time for extra motivation mm. Or I don't need to do that all the time. So, um, personally, I think it's uh, it's quite funny to be reminded of their animosity. Yeah. Uh, it's out in the open, and no point to pretend to to, to act as though it's uh, it's not there.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, really, what needs to happen is for Valentino to get a little bit quicker, to make uh, to, to to bring the battle back out on track. Um, that will liven things up a bit. Right now, the uh, Mark has the strongest hand because he's leading in the championship. He's capable of, you know, he's beating Valentino Rossi week in, week out. And uh, so it's almost no contest. Valentino needs a better Yamaha to be able to take the fight to Marquez and spice it up a little bit. But as we were saying earlier, maybe Fabio Quartararo is. Because um, there's not a great deal of love lost between Fabio and, uh, uh, and Mark either because of uh, Fabio's. Um, perceived history with the Marquez family and Alex Marquez getting in his way and taking rides that he was hoping to have, and uh, all this sort of thing. So, um, yeah, I think I think we're in for, a, for a, a, a lively a lively period in MotoGP.
0: Yes, let's hope so. Absolutely. So, uh, discuss the incident. Uh, two factories that have been fairly consistent this year. Well, Suzuki for sure. Ducati have had a few difficult um, weekends in uh, 2019, but. Pretty much at tracks that we expected them to have difficult weekends at. Uh, Mizano Davizioso won here last year. Yeah. Uh, Lorenzo, had he not
1: Lorenzo could have been on the podium if he hadn't have crashed.
0: Yeah, could have been second. Would have been second probably. Had he not chucked it down the road on the last lap, I think it was. Yeah. Um, yeah. What's what happened to Suzuki? Because Rins had an uncharacteristic crash, uh, at turn four. Yeah. It wasn't going well for him. Uh, da Vizioso, I think, rode a pretty stellar race, to be fair. Yeah. Uh, sixth place But Jack Miller was ninth. Danilo Petrucci was tenth. And Petrucci's uh, demeanor in yeah, his uh, media a, debrief yesterday was, uh, well...
1: P- that of a broken man. A
0: broken man, exactly. Yeah.
1: Exactly. Um, the thing, I mean, like, Danilo Petrucci put it really well, saying, you know, this is what we expected. We lived up to our expectations. When your expectations are, you know, I hope I can finish tenth, then, you know, you're in real, real trouble. Uh, the, the, as you say, uh, Dovichoso actually rode a fantastic race to finish, to, to, to finish six, to be able to, to be able to do what he, what he did. Um, the, I mean, the problem was simply that they couldn't use acceleration. You know, they couldn't use the mechanical grip, The mechanical grip that they have that gives them the drive out of the corners, which uh, allows them to, uh, uh, Get away from people. They they don't they can't use the grip on the edge, which is where the Amars were making all of the all of the speed. Um, uh, they, they they you know couldn't turn tight and fast through the uh, through the slow corners. Uh, Jack Miller was saying um, uh, through the slow corners he was having terrible uh, he was having a terrible time, nearly lost the front a number of times, and then the end just sort of like settled. So yeah, they, there was just nothing they can do. All it was interesting that uh, Miller, Dovicioso, Petrucci all said the same thing. When we got to the test, we knew we were in trouble. This is what we expected to happen, and what what we expected to happen is is, is what happened. But accepting that this is the, the they all thought they, that they got you know that the, the, they rode their best. They everyone did the best job they did. No one said you know my they didn't give me a good bike. They said, "This is the bike that we had. This is this is this was all the bike was capable of. I rode my best. This was all I was capable of. Unfortunately, it's a very long way uh, back. But it was specifically these conditions, this track."
0: You think back to last year? Uh, Yamaha were always having a bit of a difficult time last year, and had Yamaha not made the clear step forward that they have done in the last six to ten months, uh, well a couple of those Yamahas away and De would have been on the podium. Yeah, I mean, is that So
1: yeah, exactly. I mean, you take the yeah, you take the Yamahas out of the equation and uh, and it looks very and it looks very diff- very different. I mean, Mark still live, wins by a country mile, but the but the order is very different indeed. Uh, but yeah, I mean, this really really was the, 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 the conditions which which determined these were the, this result. What was up with Suzuki? Uh, Suzuki was similar, really. I mean, Suzuki was uh, the, the problem with Suzuki was not so much in um, acceleration as in braking. They couldn't really get the the the, the bike stopped um, for exactly the same reasons. You know, they, they weren't getting the grip needed to actually break deep into the corner. Um, Alex Rin said, you know, he crashed out because he took him a long time to get past um, uh, Pol Espargaro on the KTM, who rode an outstanding race. Not a standard weekend. At, at, yeah. At, fantastic weekend um took him a long time so he tried to push on to um uh, to, to catch the people in front lost the front turn four down he went that was it
0: yeah yeah some rays of light with uh, joan mir coming back from uh injury uh, two race absence for him um and mir i thought was quite uh, quietly impressive in eighth yes. place um, yeah i was told by his crew chief frankie carcetti uh, yesterday evening that uh well when he got to qualifying yesterday he quietly admitted to his crew i'm pretty beat and don't really have any energy left yeah. um so to man- to manage 27 laps in that heat yeah one of the most tricky tracks tricky well it's Pek- a
1: very physically demanding track
0: very physically demanding and uh, well obviously terrible conditions Pecco Banyaya told us that it was easily the worst conditions that he had found all year uh, in his moto gp rookie season uh, for mir to get its place i think um, shows that yeah, we're going to be seeing that kid up towards the top six quite a few times in the, uh, the couple yeah, to, of races that follow.
1: To, to an extent, I mean, you feel sorry for the rookies who've come into the into GP this year, uh, everyone except Quattro because they're all being overshadowed by Quattro Chuan Mir is having a really... Is, is being very impressive. Miguel Oliveira has been absolutely stellar. It's just that he's on a KTM. Um, it, I mean, these are some... These are some superb riders. It's just that, unfortunately, um, uh, someone has come in and, and is just absolutely you know, ripping up the show.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, that is it for the second part of the show. Uh, David and I are going to uh, dip into some of the pastries that are just behind the uh, counter there. And uh, once we finish those off, we'll be right back with part three. And as I wipe away the pastry from my mouth... Uh, we'll get back into part three. David, uh, try not to get too much cream <laughs> on your pus. <laughs> uh, really, when in Italy and all that, etc., yeah. etc. Uh, yes. One must take advantage of all the trappings that are, uh, there, are around us. So, a few things to talk about. We're going to get on to our, our winners and losers from the weekend. Uh, there was a bit of controversy in uh, Moto2 that we saw uh, yesterday. I think, actually, um, we really failed to mention that we had three really good races that went all the way <sighs> yep. to... The final lap, uh, turn 14 on the final lap as well. Moto 2 was a real intriguing battle between uh, Fabio Giannantonio, rookie sensation, and uh, well, the coming man, the surprise coming man of uh, Grand Prix in many respects, Augusto Fernandez, a guy who really from nowhere suddenly finds himself 26 points back of Alex Marquez. We all thought the championship of Moto 2 was a, a done deal, uh, but Fernandez, two wins on the trot now, uh, taking back big points on Alex Marquez in that time. And, uh, well, suddenly we have uh, something to talk about again yeah. uh, with regards to the championship in the final races.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, again, it's a testament to the Pons team that they always manage to bind these riders um, and bring them on and turn them into just fancy. If you think of the, the pedigree, the, you know, the riders currently in MotoGP who've come through that Pons program, it's a very impressive list.
0: Yes, it is, yeah. And Fernandez, I mean, he was uh, a guy that applied his trade in uh european junior cup in the world superbike championship that ran a couple of years ago with honda uh machinery and then he was uh, i think in european Superstock. uh he was in the european moto 2 championship had a basically two-thirds of a season with speed up uh, occasional good performance uh, but yeah for him to be plucked out of the european moto 2 championship and well to see him one year on yeah uh, winning races and now looking like he's challenging for a championship it's uh, quite Feet, but anyway, we're going to get on to that last lap incident. Did Gian antonio versus Fernandez going into turn 14? Well, all started with turn 11. Um, what was your uh, what was your uh, response to that?
1: Uh, I mean, uh, I didn't see it quite so well because I was getting ready to go down to pit lane for uh, uh for the MotoGP race. So, you talk us through it, Neil. What I mean, I saw them, um, uh, uh, I saw them both, uh, I, I think Fernandez p- fairly sort of um. Uh, interesting move through uh, through turn 11, which is a very fast place uh, to go. There, they was it? Fernando Fernandez ran wide. Uh, so
0: yeah, he tried to get through, but he couldn't quite manage it. Then he ran wide onto the green pint on the outside. But when he did that, he almost managed to alter his line and his trajectory towards the Gian Antonio's inside. And there, when they came out of turn 13, the Gian Antonio went to the inside to block for 14. But uh, Fernandez was already there, had led his brakes off and really had to stand them both up. But I think crucially, Fernandez um was making the corner. So yes, he didn't make the normal line, didn't hit the apex quite far from it, but it wasn't as if he ran them both off track. He no. just made No,
1: d- it, it wasn't a Loris Caparossi move. No. It was a it was a genuine um he was genuinely trying to make the corner. Yeah. It's just that it was uh, it was a bit uh, it was a bit brave. I mean like uh, I, I saw that last lap, I saw that that last corner incident. And it just looked like a very, very aggressive pass. But, um, I mean, we've spoken to Mike Webb about this many times in the past, and he's always said, is, you have to be able to uh, try to win the race. And, uh, I mean, Turn 14 isn't the last corner, um, but it's basically the, the, the best last overtaking place, the, 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 the last place where you really stand a good chance of overtaking. And so, race direction are always prepared to give riders a little bit more leniency in those last few few corners. I think, um, even if it hadn't, if, well, if it had been sort of the middle of the race, then they would have been called and given a talking to. But this was, you know, people would want to give a race. And was it clean? Yeah, it means. It's one of those t shirts which you take out of your bag and you have, give it a sniff and think, yeah, all right, I can, think I can get away with that. <laughs> but it wasn't absolutely It wasn't one of those t shirts you take out of the plastic wrapping and fold out nicely in winter and it smells of, uh, smells of daisies.
0: Yes, and having recently shared a two hour car <laughs> ride with David from Misano to Bologna, I can tell you that the man speaks from experience. Um, yeah, I think, to be fair to Giordano Antonio, uh, quite a lively uh, Model 2 press conference that followed the race. Uh, both were still um, in a fairly argumentative frame of mind. Dijon Antonio said, hey, turn 14 move, I don't have a problem with that. It's the last lap, we're racing the win. That's okay. What I do have a problem with was what he did on the exit of turn 11 because he felt he gained an unfair advantage, but not just gained it, but willingly knew what he was doing. He thought, okay, if I run out a little wide here, I can square the corner off and get back inside. Which is
1: one of the reasons why they've, uh, w- one of the problems at Misano is that you can go through there faster if you run wide. Um, the trouble is, you're going through there at, what, two... Well, I suppose on a, on a, on a Moto2 bike, maybe 240, 250. And um, so if you take away the... If you put something with a lot less grip, then you see a lot more crash and it gets a lot more dangerous. Um, so there is, there is an advantage to be gained. But then, I mean, proving intent is always the most difficult thing to do.
0: Yeah, sure. And also, uh, it wasn't as though Fernandez had been uh, exceeding track limits for all race long. He hadn't received a warning on his dashboard prior to that point. But I think you have to maybe factor that into it as well. I think it was quite cunning, um, but uh, well, it's the last lap, and
1: yeah, that's right. I mean, there's 25 points at the end of it. That's the only thing that counts.
0: Yeah, um, it was perhaps not so surprising to see Luca Boscoscuro, team boss of uh, the Speed Up, go straight to race direction or the FIM stewards after the uh, the race yeah. and start to protest quite uh, emotionally. Um, Quite like the uh, the exchange between the two riders on the slowdown lap as well, where they were, you know, think initially like, "Hey, what are you doing?" Quickly turned into, "I'll grab the, uh, <laughs> your helmet bar and uh, speak very clearly." And uh, well, yeah, the, um, the press conference, as I said, was quite funny as well because you essentially had two guys who were just saying, "Come on, you can't be serious that that's your point of view." Uh, while Alex Marquez sat and uh, yeah, I mean, smiled on.
1: Obviously, it makes a. Bigger uh, um, makes a bigger impression, or it's more important because for Fabio, di Gian Antonio, it's his home race, an Italian on an Italian bike, um, in, in you know in, in front of his home fans, uh, and he rode, he really rode a fantastic race. Um, he had a fantastic weekend, weekend all round, really. So yeah, I can I can imagine him being much more upset upset than he might be uh, at another racetrack.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, but, uh, yeah, really good race in Moto2. Going on to our winners and losers then from Mizano, Div. I'm going to start with you. Um, your big winner. I mean, there's plenty to choose from. Quartararo had a superb race. Marquez as well. Talked about them quite a bit. Is there yeah. anyone else you would fancy mentioning?
1: Yeah, I mean, to me, the big winner is KTM. Um, Paul Espargaro qualifies on the front row. Came really close to actually getting pole. Um, it was KTM's first dry The dry weather front row start. It was their best qualifying, um, uh, the the best qualifying position. The the bike was just performing really, really well this week. We also saw Zarko. Zarko had, uh, I think he was tenth. He was through to Q. He was through to Q two. Yeah, he qualified
0: eighth, which is comfortably his best. dry qualifying performance. KTM.
1: Yeah, exactly. So. he just had he had a he had a really really good uh, he had a really really good race, um, well for Joao Zarco shall we say, um, Oliveira was having a really good weekend. Uh, uh, it just the, the the bike looked competitive. The bike looks capable of uh, you know the the bike looks where it should be looks about where it should be, in its third year of uh, in its third year of racing. So like I say I think it's been. Uh, I, I think this was a weekend in which KTM started to show their potential. I expect. Um, I mean, there were exceptional circumstances. The Ducatis and the Suzukis were out of, uh, were sort of like were out of contention. So you have to say that uh, there were some mitigating circumstances. But even then, this is the this was the latest in a in a string of you know very respectable results. KTM is moving in the right direction.
0: Mm. And then speaking to Paul Espargaro through the weekend, um, a lot of his two-day test at Misano was focused around next year and trying different uh, chassis parts that uh, could be on the 2020 RC16. Danny Pedrosa, I think, is pretty much just focusing on the 2020 bike at the moment yep. in his testing capacity. Um, and from what Espargaro was saying, they're definitely moving in the right direction.
1: Peter Bomb the... Dutch uh, uh, commentator, former crew chief, Danny Kent's crew chief, was, was explaining to me that um, uh, what's happened, what, they've do, what they're doing with Danny Pedrosa now is, Danny Pedrosa is, normally when you go testing, you've got lots and lots of different, different bits and pieces, and you take it, out, you, you take it all away, um, trying to figure out what the best combination of all those pieces, pieces are. And that's what Danny Pedrota is. He's basically like going away, testing lots of different pieces, saying that works best and this works best and these things all work together best, and then giving this as a package to Polispargaro. And Polispargaro can then say, this is a big improvement. So it really speeds up development, uh, de- de- development a lot.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um... Yeah, and they've got another test after Aragon. Um, yeah. We basically just have a couple of days to recover before we go to Aragon for the Grand Prix uh, this weekend coming. And uh, I think KTM are testing there for a couple of days after then. And you'd have to say that uh, after that, they're going to be a um, pretty good place to have all the information available to bring their, well, the first edition of the 2020 bike to the uh, end-of-year test at Valencia and Jerez. So, yeah, KTM... Interesting choice from David. I am going to go with uh, Tatsuki Suzuki, who won his first Moto3 race uh, yesterday. We're recording this on Monday after the race. Um, because, well, not only was it uh, his first Grand Prix victory, uh, he won it in fine style, maintained uh, cool, kept his head in a pretty, well, typically hectic. typically hectic Moto3 fight. Uh, but, uh, well, he did it for the 650 Squadra Corsa team, run, of course, by Paolo Simoncelli at Misano World Circuit, the Mar- Marco Simoncelli, uh, the team's home race, and uh, well, just that he couldn't really and have thought of a better place, a better location to uh, to mark, yeah, his first Grand Prix win.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and also, uh, I mean, he he because after the press conference, he then sat down and spoke to the Italian journalists in Italian. Uh, he lives in Italy. He's, I mean, by now he's probably about a quarter Italian. So yeah, it was it was a. Um, uh, First of all he rode a fantastic race and he totally deserved that on win. Position. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, he controlled the race despite the sort of the chaos going on behind him. So, yeah, it deserved really good race, really. And I think I might have said this before, but it's really nice to see that we now have a um, we we have some Japanese riders with Toba Ogura, Suzuki coming through and really starting to be um, it would be competitive. I mean, I grew up watching racing with lots of uh, Japanese r- riders in the smaller classes, and I can't wait to see them going through. Even, you know, Nakagami and MotoGP is doing, is doing well. So we're starting to see a revival of Japanese uh, of, of Japanese racing, and that's, uh, that's pleasing to see.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And uh, incidentally, the 10th different race winner of Model 3 this year in 13 races. A new record for the class for one season than ever before. There's been such a variety of race winners. In uh, the lightweight category, going all the way back to two, th- sorry, nineteen forty-nine. So uh, yeah, impressive stuff in Moto Three this year, as unpredictable as ever. Great stuff from uh, Tatsuki Suzuki, Paolo Simoncelli, six fifty-eight, Sport of Corsa team. Losers then.
1: Uh, the, I mean, again, so many people you could uh, you could choose from. Andrea Iannoni had so many crashes, and eventually couldn't was yeah declared unfit, couldn't race. Um, uh, the Ducatis and the Suzukis just because you couldn't... Uh, yeah,
0: Crutchlow, Lorenzo, tough weekends.
1: Yeah, really, really hard.
0: How dispiriting was it to hear Jorge Lorenzo yesterday, David, by the way, uh, saying that his goal was to finish 30 seconds behind the race winner. He missed out on that by 17 seconds. So now his next goal for Aragon is to finish 30 seconds behind the race yeah, winner.
1: That's really quite depressing, really. Uh, there are reasons for that. Um, but I think I have to go for Maverick Vinales. Podium finisher? Yes, podium finisher, Maverick Vinales, because... Man who's getting his consistency back together. Yep, I mean, he had a really, really good... He, he had uh, potentially a really good weekend. Um, he had a fantastic uh, qualifying start from pole position, had a really good start, and that's been his bugbear for a while now.
0: Great first lap.
1: Great first lap, decent second lap, and then it all went downhill for the for about five or six laps, um, and uh, ended up got found a little bit more pace at the pace at the end. He said he just lost all grip uh, between laps three and eight, and that was where he lost all of the uh, all of his time to Quattararo and to Marquez. But by that time, it was too late. The race was over. Um, this was a race which I think he could have won. Uh, and he didn't. He only ended up third, and he didn't. He ended up third, not looking as if he could have done a, a great deal better. So you have to say, um, it's not the biggest loser because he did terribly. He's the biggest loser because he came up so much short. So much, he came up short of what he could have achieved. There was so much more there, and he couldn't make it.
0: And how many times have we said that about yeah. Finales? Yeah. Yeah. And not just um, yeah. I mean, he had the indignation of being beaten by a rookie on essentially that bike but uh, a lesser spec than that bike
1: yeah exactly i mean uh, the bike is getting a little bit better uh is uh, well, starting to get sort of new parts he's still not got the engine i actually asked after the race I asked wilco zielenberg just imagine what fabio could have done if he'd have had 500 rpm extra and um uh, he said here it wouldn't make any difference. You people going on about 500 rpm. I don't think you know. Uh, I don't think you know how much difference it would make. It wouldn't make that much difference to. Them. Bloody so, journalists. Yeah, bloody journalists. So yeah, I um, uh, I have to say that um, I think Vinales, There was so much more in it for for Vinales and he uh, and he came up short. And what about you?
0: Uh, well, <clears throat> it's interesting. That you say Vinales I'm going to go with his teammate Rossi because well it wasn't a you know it wasn't a desperate race from Rossi it was it was quite a good ride uh, fourth place is a, a decent result but it was fourth place it was 10 seconds back of Vinales and it was I think 12 seconds back of Cuarto around his home track which he knows intimately and this is uh, a <laughs> this is one of those occasions which makes you wonder whether Valentino Rossi has it in him to win a race again in MotoGP. And things are good in Yamaha. I mean, not perfect, obviously. Not perfect for him. Um, but you know, Yamaha is it's clearly working quite well now yeah. internally. They seem to have upped their budget. There's extra staff. Um, how they are managing different scenarios and new parts is a lot better than it was. I mean, Rossi this weekend was trying front wheel cover. Yeah. He was trying carbon swing arm, uh, a double exhaust. I mean, these are things that, uh, you know, Chikadi had been rolling out for the last couple of years, but, um, you know, we really didn't see a great deal of, of evolution uh, mid-season from Yamaha. And what we did see was maybe a slight. Alteration to the the chassis. Or...
1: Also, uh, also worth pointing out that both um, uh, Maverick Vinales and Valentino Rossi have been using a new chassis since uh, I think um, Austria. They uh, Valentino Rossi is, keeps denying that's you know that it's a different chassis. He says that you know this is the chassis that he's been using since um, uh, uh, Qatar. Even when I could visibly see in the garage that he had two different chassis on two different bikes. And Maya Marigalli says, no, 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 it's, it's the same. It's just that, you know, that weld is just a little bit, little bit different stiffness. Um, now there were uh, uh, Maverick, both Maverick and Valentino had um, four bikes with the same sh- uh, each had two bikes with, it, with, it, with exactly the same chassis. So this is clearly a, a new chassis. It's clearly a slightly better, sh- uh, a slightly better uh, bike. So, yeah, or they have, they really have been making progress. But yet, as you say, Valentino isn't there.
0: Yeah, and he's, uh, well, he's comfortably been the third fastest Yamaha this year, or the third most impressive Yamaha rider, I would say. Um,
1: so does this mean he's going to retire?
0: Uh, at the end of 2020, 2020? look, I mean, so much can happen between now and then. So it's, it's pretty silly to be, um, to be talking about it now. He did tell, uh, I think, Sky Italia uh, prior to his home race, that he would take, what, five, six races, up until Mugello, I think, uh, or next season, before he makes that decision. Um, he's repeatedly said, if I'm still fast, I want to continue. Um, but, is he still fast, though? Yeah, well, he is fast, but it, it depends on, on what he thinks of as fast. I mean, not disgracing himself, yes, he's not doing that, but is he going to be happy to play second field, not just to Marquez, but to two other guys yeah. in that factory? I'm not sure. Yeah, I mean... Because it, if you look back to, even, even since the, the whole 2015 fallout, there's been points in 15, 16, even 17 and last year when he was comfortably the most impressive Yamaha guy. Yeah. And this year, there hasn't really been one time when it's been like that. Yeah. Other than, okay, the start of the year. Yeah. Qu- Quarter-hour's first couple of races. Yeah, exactly. this was having a bit of a mire.
1: I think we've talked about this before. At some point, the decline sets in, but it's so difficult because it's not, you know, this. It, it's not like you drop off a cliff. It's like a very smooth hill where you sort of, you know, you climb climbing. you never quite know where the peak is. You never quite realize that you're going downhill until all of a sudden it starts getting quite steep. And um, I think Rossi is... Maybe just over the crest, but I'm not sure yet. You just, you really, you really, you really don't know. And he's clearly still one of the best motorcycle racers, one of the fastest guys in the world. But is being one of the fastest guys enough?
0: I know. And the last two races, Silverstone, Mizano, two great tracks for Rossi. Um, maybe not recent years, Mizano, but historically for Yamaha as well. Two great tracks for Yamaha. And yeah, I mean, again, he didn't disgrace himself. There were good performances, but they just weren't fighting for the race win. They weren't even fighting for the podium. Um, and I think, well, who knows? Still a long way to go um, before he comes to that decision. But, uh, yeah, I think that was one of those. It was another race where you thought, yeah, he's not, really, not really there with the very, very best yeah. at the moment.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, is he going to be happy to fight with the second group? He's not a second group guy.
0: No. Think so, yeah. So um, that's that's really about it, David. I would say um, you have a flight to go and catch now
1: and you're going to explore the uh, explore the interior of Bologna, the beautiful city of Bologna. Yeah, exactly. I've
0: got uh, the good fortune of doing that, and then we're uh, basically getting back to the grind again on uh, on Thursday, just uh, three days away. Uh, we'll, we'll be down in Aragon for that, so uh, you won't have to wait too much longer for the next instalment of uh, your favourite motorcycle racing podcast. Um, Thank you again, dear listener, for your, uh, for your company and um, for your willingness to, uh, to stick us on and uh, listen to us wherever you are, be it in your car, in your house, in your work, in your office. Um, of course, it is a good time to remind you to follow us on our social media channels. That is, David, Twitter.
1: Twitter, at Paddock Pass Pod. Um, Facebook. <laughs> Facebook.com slash podcast
0: And what should listeners do? The Apple podcast devices?
1: They're On their Apple podcast devices. Also, I think we're on uh, Spotify as well. Uh, uh, and on SoundCloud, SoundCloud, make sure you subscribe us, like us, uh, give us reviews, say um, uh, that we're really, really good because um, that helps other people find us. Not only is it the truth
0: but it helps other people find us as well. We do have a Patreon page too, David, right?
1: Yes, we do. We have a Patreon page, patreon.com slash Um Up there at the moment, you will find the reaction of uh, uh, Valentino Rossi and Mark Marquez to the... Uh, hashtag incident. To the hashtag incident, correct. Um, and we uh, endeavor to put sort of little bits of unique content up there, um uh, and it's uh, only three bucks a month for something which I think is worth it and it helps pay our way around the world, helps, co- helps cover our, um, uh, our uh, expenses and helps motivate us to, do, uh, to make fantastic content.
0: Absolutely. So that pretty much brings us to a close of this edition of the Paddock Pass Podcast. Thank you, dear listener, for your company on this occasion. We'll be back next week with
1: another episode. Speak to you then. Super duper. um okay sweet
0: buongiorno yeah let's not do that <laughs>
1: <laughs> buongiorno, a buongiorno, a buongiorno a tutti buongiorno a tutti benvenuto a italia
0: for <laughs> il paddock podcast yeah yeah no fuck that <clears throat> okay